In today's episode, we're going to talk about one of those things that really should have been taught to us in school, um, but it's going to have to do with some strategies that are going to help us make some better decisions. And it's a fairly unglamorous thing to do, but it does affect our entire lives, so it's something that we should learn. And in particular, we're going to be talking about how to eliminate or at least minimize the effect of biases on our psychology. And we're also going to talk about something called psychological noise, quote unquote. So I just finished the book Noise. Um, it's by Kahneman, Sunstein, and Siboney. And if I mispronounce your names, I apologize. Now Kahneman, I know, was um, the one who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a fantastic book. Um, it's why I read this one, too. That, that one is... Uh, I use themes from that book over and over again. That, that's something I refer to a lot. Um, but this one's really good too. I'm gonna run you guys through some of the key lessons that I picked up in there. It's a pretty technical book. If you're not super into psychology, uh, you're probably not really going to enjoy it very much. And even if you are interested in psychology, this book's a great example of why I do this show. Um, it's it's fantastic, but it's so technical. If you're if you're not a technical person or if you don't have a very specific reason for reading it, it can kind of be difficult to, to wade through it somewhat. So I'm going to try to do that for you guys. Um, I definitely recommend you reading it just because they're going to explain everything better than I can. But I'm going to give you the key points that I learned, stuff that I've already began uh, or began to, to implement in my life the last week and a half since I finished it. Um, so I'm going to steer clear of the math for one thing. I'm not a, I'm not a mathematical person. I, I can't stand numbers. I'm somewhat dyslexic when it comes to anything to do with numbers. Uh, so we're going to keep it at a practical level for the average person like myself. So basically noise is, it's the, it's a silent killer in the human mind. Basically is how I think of it. It's something that influences your judgment and it, your decision-making capabilities, but it's also typically invisible, not only to you, but to outside observers. So they talk about biases a little bit in the book as well, uh, but noise and biases, they're a little bit different. With a bias, you still get a somewhat predictable response. So for example, with the confirmation bias, you can still anticipate the outcome to some extent uh, with, with some accuracy because you know that somebody's going to make decisions in alignment with their current beliefs. You know, if somebody has a bias against, um, you know, like let's say a hiring manager or someone has a bias against a certain age, race, gender, whatever, that would be a pretty obvious example of, well, it, it may be a, a faulty decision, but you can kind of, if you know of this bias, you can kind of predict which, which way the fault's going to go. You know, there's still some element of anticipation to it. You kind of know what's going to happen. They do influence judgment biases, obviously. Um, and we are going to talk about it a lot on the show and it's something that we've covered quite a bit. Um, but the point is that noise is a little bit different. There's because because noise is something it has that unpredictable it has an effect on it, but it's unpredictable. So it's not something you can point to and say for sure this is what it's going to be. Um, there's several different types of noise, and if it's not making sense to you, I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate it a few times. It took me probably halfway through the book before I really started to make sense of it. If I'm being totally honest, um, I know that doesn't make me go, look good as an intellectual person that's trying to teach this to other people. It took me a minute to process it, but once it sank in, it started to make a lot of sense, and it's actually been it's been pretty useful um, since I've started using it in the short time that I have been. And basically, noise, and I'm quoting here, noise is an unpredictable cause of errors that we cannot easily see or explain. Noise affects our decisions, and it skews our judgment, but it, it tends to be invisible, like I said. Uh, one thing that they talk about a lot in the book is something called situational noise. And an, an example of situational noise 
um, is something as simple as just the weather. You know, they cited a study that was showing that judges in the court of law were making more favorable decisions in terms of like parole and, you know, sentencing and everything. Um, if it was a, if, if there was nice weather out that day or stuff like if, um, their favorite sports team had won the day before and it was documented again, I'm going to steer clear of the math and the statistics and everything. Um, but it was very well documented that, you know, these, it was, it was normal to, you're going to get a, a better sentence and you're more likely to get like good parole terms and whatever if it's first thing in the morning or if it's right after lunch break if the weather is nice out that day or if you know the judge likes football and his team won the day before it was tangible effects that were having you know massive influences on these people that are making a living out of making good decisions and they're being swayed that easily you know they're being influenced by these external factors so much so just think you know, that, that's judges who are kind of known to, or hopefully known to be, you know, fairly, you know, logical people that are that are able to make good judgment decisions. So the, assuming that they are, I mean, the, the, which I, I mean, I have my, my doubts, we'll say, but, you know, definitely the average person is going to be subject to these, these same shortcomings, you know? And the thing with noise, like I said, is that it's unpredictable. It's kind of like, the dark matter of psychology to a certain extent. Uh, we can see its effects, but a lot of times it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly where the cause is coming from. But at the end of the day, just as a key takeaway, it's important just to under understand that we are surrounded by unnoticed influences and that these influences can corrupt our decision-making abilities. So it's understanding that they're there is an important first step. But what's more, the very nature of noise implies that we're not gonna be able to nail down all of those factors and we're not going to be able to weed them out. So instead what we need to do is learn what the authors call good decision-making hygiene. And just, it's like with regular hygiene, you know, there's certain things that you can do consistently that reduce the uh, amount of bacteria that you take in or, you know, stuff like that. And it's the same thing with decision-making. You can reduce the amount of error that you allow into your decision-making process. We might not know exactly what germs we're killing when we wash our hands, um, but we do it anyway because we know that there are potential diseases out there that can harm us. In the same way, we don't know, or we don't have to know exactly what psychological threats that we're facing um, to establish those good habits, you know, because we're, the goal is just to eliminate them whether we see them or not and to make the best decisions possible. So let's go ahead and get started uh, and look at some ways that we can make better decisions. So I'm just going to go through my biggest takeaways from the book. It's not exhaustive. This is just what stuck with me. It seemed the most useful. Like I said, I'm not a numbers person. So if you want the technical details, you should you should go back and read it. Uh, but one thing that they talk about a lot is the wisdom of the crowd. Um, and basically, that's the concept of asking a lot of different people for their advice. And they, they, were, they were kind of proving, again, through the numbers. I'm not going to talk about that. If you have a large population or a large sample of people that you ask the same question to and when it comes to a judgment, the individual may be totally wrong and all over the place. But when you when you consider the average question or the average answer of all of those people, that tends to the, the average answer tends to be extremely accurate. Um, you know, and they cite a couple of different studies that show that how when individuals make the decision, they're they're subject to noise. But when many people are asked for their judgment, the average answer tends to be relatively noise-free. And that's because the noise tends to skew things in all these different directions. 
But when you take the average into account, it, it kind of, you know, one person's noise kind of cancels out another. So, so once it's condensed down, it, the aggregate is, is fairly reliable, typically. Now, one thing that I will say on this is that there is a flip side to that coin. If all of those people or even some of those people are aware of the answers that the rest of the crowd gives, that introduces bias. You know, if you remember the experiment that we talked about on conformity, it was done by Dr. Ash, I think it was back in the 60s. We did this a couple months ago. Um, you, you should already have an idea of why this would be, and I'll, I'll just kind of run through it real quick. But basically, if you ask a couple people, different people for their best judgment, they're going to be influenced um, by the answer that the last person gave because they have this idea, they have this desire to fit in. And there was a whole, I, I did a whole episode on this um, conformity you know, in, inclination that people have. Um, so if you're going, if you're trying to make a good decision, it's, it's good to rely on the wisdom of crowds, but if you're going to ask multiple people for their opinion and then average out that answer, make sure that those people don't know what other people have answered to, because they're going to be biased towards those people then. Or on the other hand, if they have a strong bias against those other people that you asked and they know what the answer was, they might actively disagree with them just because they don't like that person or they have some kind of opposing bias. The point is that to get the most reliable information, ask a lot of people for a judgment call, um, but make sure that they don't talk to each other, basically. Um, I want to make a joke about dating. I'm not going to. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of interesting ground that is covered in the book, but the key point here is that if you need to make a difficult judgment call, it's best to start doing two things. First, ask as many people as you can and find the average of their answers. And then secondly, like I said, you know, make sure these people are unaware of the answers that other people have given. Because when everybody's biased in the same direction, um, that just introduces more noise and it skews the results. So besides relying on the, on the wisdom of crowds, the authors recommend minimizing situational noise as much as you can. So the best way to do this is by giving yourself as much time as possible. And sometimes this isn't practical, but, you know, as a rule of thumb, just something to implement as you go through life and you're making decisions that had to do with emotions or any kind of uh, judgment or you're exercising your judgment. T people tend to be very confident and a little bit too confident in their ability to make good decisions. I know I'm the worst offender with this. I, I will freely admit that I will confidently make the dumbest mistakes that you have ever seen and be like, no, yeah, this feels right. You know, and it's, well, I look back on, it, I think, well, that was stupid. Like, why did I do that? And it's because I'm biased, because there's noise in my decision-making process, because I'm not seeing the whole picture. There's there's any number of reasons why, but the point is that that everybody does this to some extent. You know, you, you get confident, you think, well, this is the way things are, but there, there's so many factors to consider. You're never going to get everything um, together all at once. So one of the things that you can do, if nothing else, I mean, just to make better decisions, even if they're not the best ones, is to get rid of that situational noise. So if you give yourself time to think things over, like when you give yourself a, a couple days or more to deliberate over a decision, you're gonna be faced with different situational noise each day that you think about it, right? And that could be anything from you know the weather, like we already talked about, to your mood that day, to how much sleep you got that night, uh, to how long ago you ate. You know, All of those things, they affect your judgment whether you realize it or not. And actually, the mood thing, just a side note, the thing about mood was super interesting to me. They, they went into detail on how vastly different of a person you are based on what mood you're in. So you can be in different moods and be like a totally different person. And when you say that, it kind of makes sense, but I, I've never really thought about it. And they were, they were really going into it. And 
you know, you can take it a couple different ways. But for example, they mentioned how, you know, people are much more gullible and agreeable when they're in a good mood, you know, and they're, they're much more skeptical and whatnot when they're in a bad mood. And I mean, every six-year-old has already figured that out. But when you apply that to decision-making, and if you are in a certain mood when you make a decision, and it's a judgment call that's going to affect you for a long time, but you're in a certain mood, well, when you're not in that mood anymore, that might not be the best decision anymore, you know? So to get an objective view on what you on what you really feel about something, you need to consider that problem when you feel a couple different ways, you know? And it's best also to write those decisions down, uh, because then you can't... You, your brain has a way of justifying itself and misremembering things, which is something else we talk about a lot here. But if you give yourself a week and every single day you make your decision and you, you look at those answers and they're, they're all a little bit different or you describe how you feel on each day and like how, how strongly you feel about it maybe and you realize that on average you you know, you know you feel good or bad about it, whatever. Um, but at that point, you, you kind of have a better idea of what you really think about the thing as opposed to just making an impulsive decision in the moment. And I'm going to circle back to that real quick. But, but first of all, um, it also helps to introduce as many opposing viewpoints as you can. So if you can get somebody to play the devil's advocate and debate with you, that's great. Um, sometimes it's not an option. So if you can't find somebody to go up against you, you should at least play the role yourself. So find fault with your decisions. Argue against yourself from every angle that you can and um, tear your own argument to pieces, if at all possible. And doing this will hopefully expose any weaknesses that your decision has, and it will also help reduce noise by that same, um, in the same way that involving other people would. So the authors say that since noise and biases are so ubiquitous, I mean, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, you, you just can't get away from it. Being able to actively seek out opposing viewpoints is, is actually an excellent predictor of future success, which makes sense when you think about it. Because if you're stuck in your one way of doing things, that's all you're ever going to be able to accomplish. And if it's not the most efficient way of doing things, well, then you're stuck there. you know. And if it's dead wrong, then you're not going anywhere. So remember, I talk a lot about how skewed our perceptions are. And we get a very narrow view of the big picture. And we're just not equipped to see the whole thing. I mean, it's not our fault. It's not like a, a knock on the human race. It's just... It's kind of like looking at a mountain. You know, you can't see the mountain from every angle at once. You can't see the whole thing at once. So somebody on the opposite side of it might see something totally different. They might see a forest while while you're looking at some rocky cliffs or, you know, something really steep and they're seeing something kind of mild and gradual. And somebody up above you might see just like a blip. It might not even be look like a mountain at all to them. And the only way to really get an accurate understanding of the, of the mountain as a whole is to rely on the reports of as many different viewpoints as you can and to, to aggregate them into something that's cohesive. And just remember that the confirmation bias can very easily kick in here if you aren't careful. People tend to see what they want to see or I think maybe a better way of saying that is people see what they expect to see. Um, and again, that's bias. It's not noise, but it still plays into good decision-making skills. That's the point of the episode. So be careful when you're looking um, for a second and third opinion that you, you don't only ask people that are going to agree with you or that you don't ignore opposing information or information that makes you uncomfortable. You want information that makes you uncomfortable. You want people to disagree with you and you don't want them to disagree with you and you just totally dominate their, their whole arguments and that's it. And you're done and you feel smart. That's not the point of it. The point of it is to bring more viewpoints to the table because 
you might not see the whole thing, but if you get 50 people, I mean, that might be a lot if you're, you know, you probably don't want to ask 50 people for life advice every time you make a decision. But just for the sake of example, you know, if you ask all these people from different walks of life, from different perspectives, you know, there's a much better likelihood that the answer that you get is going to be something objective because people's biases cancel each other out. People's misconceptions cancel each other out. So you end up with something that's fairly usable. Now, if you're asking for somebody, for example, um, judgment on like a religious matter and you go to your church and ask 20 people, well, you're going to get a pretty skewed, biased opinion. You know, if you're asking career advice, um, from a military recruiter and you go to six different recruiters, I mean, well, you're kind of, you know, that's not a, you're, you're not setting yourself up for success there. So you want to, when you want people that are going to challenge yourself and, and, and others. So be aware of the influence that people can have on your judgment. If you do have to make a big decision and you're asking people for advice, remember that the first person you talk to is going to have a pretty considerable effect on you. So before you really get into it, people asking for advice, you should make sure to break down the situation into its most basic parts. Just tear its pieces, you know, examine it under a microscope and identify the the basic elements of what you're working with and try to see it as objectively as possible. And the more you can remove emotion from your decisions, the better. Again, I'm the worst offender with this. I don't even want to talk about how many bad, awful, horrible decisions that I've made based off of the way that I felt at the time. Remember, those emotions have a, a massive impact on your personality. You know, they, they change who you are to some extent, but they're also transient. They don't last. Emotions are there for a reason, but they come and go. And I definitely believe that gut feelings and intuition do have an important place in our lives. But the authors point out that the more hard facts and statistics that you can bring into the decision-making process, the better off you'll be. And the more you can, you know, again, I'm not getting into numbers, but what I mean by that, like practically, is the more you can look at past trends and like real life outcomes, like real behaviors and patterns and things that have actually happened. It doesn't have to be like literal numbers, but the more you can use these real tangible things that have happened in the past, the better, you know, because don't expect that things are going to change because something feels like it's going to change. If you're seeing the same consistent pattern over a long period of time, it's probably going to stay that way. And I think dating or really any kind of social concept, but, but dating in particular is a good way to illustrate this which also might serve the dual purpose of reminding me to follow this rule. So I'm going to talk about it for a minute as like part of my own journey because I definitely have had to learn this the hard way several times and I'm hoping that the last one was it. Um, I've learned, I'm done with the lessons, I'm ready for something else now. So, But when you're considering if you're going to date somebody, it's really important to look past how they make you feel. You need to consider their behaviors objectively. You know, I was always taught the opposite. I was taught um, to, to do the, the complete opposite, and I had to learn the hard way, and it took several years. Um, I think I finally learned, uh, but I want to pass that on. And I, I used to believe that the way somebody made you feel, that that was the most important thing in a relationship. But the reality is that manipulative people can make you feel however they want. So it's not the most important thing. Those emotions are not a good guide in and of themselves because they can be changed. They can be manipulated. They can have... They can be the product of noise. I mean, you might fall in love with somebody and realize that you love them in that situation. You know, you were having a great 
week or time you were in a good place in your life, but then like when the chips are down and you know difficult life situations happen and you like it's like they're a totally different person or it's like you feel totally different about them even if they don't change because your mood is drastically different um and the the big thing that i'm emphasizing here in terms of looking at the the facts and making those good decisions is that you know if this if this person is showing all these red flags and they seem to have a long history of major issues you need to let that information drive your decision. And I can't tell you how many times I've overlooked warning signs um, because things felt different. Because my emotions were, oh, well, this is okay this time. But at the end of the day, it never was different. You know, it's difficult to separate yourself from your emotions. And you shouldn't totally separate yourself from emotions. Um, they play a, a very valuable role in your life. Um, they're part of the human experience. They're not something good or bad. They're not something we should run from. But in terms of just making decisions, like if it's going to be somebody that you're, that you're going to date, if it's going to be a job that you want to get um, or that you want to take, some kind of, you know, something that's going to impact you for a long time, your career, um, whether or not to leave a relationship, whether or not to move, you know, there's any number of, of major life decisions that could come up. And you, you want to learn to make those decisions without emotion because your emotions can deceive you. They have their place, but it's not when it comes to making decisions, unfortunately. Last thing, guys, is just try to identify the most important aspects of the situation. So figure out what the one to three most important elements are and focus on those. Don't overwhelm yourself by trying to keep 100 different facts and figures straight in your head. It's not gonna happen. Your brain's not wired to work that way. Pick, ideally, the most important thing and just focus on that, but typically have maybe one or two other things that are almost as important but those are the, the main elements because um, there's always going to be a couple of things that are more important than anything else so find those and make them the priority good luck guys thanks for listening